we're shifting. We're still kind of in this theme of moving what God calls us away from and what he calls us towards. Um, And really the biggest thing that God calls us away from, Paul writes about this. He writes about it in Romans, actually writes about it in all of his letters and really the whole of the Bible's this theme. But um, in the book of Galatians, Paul gets into some very specific things that says, now that you are a follower of Christ, this is what I call you to, or not I, but God calls us away from who we were before we knew Jesus. And this is who he is calling us into, the life we are being called into. And we're going to, for the next weeks, just soak in the fruit of the Spirit because... um, They are these character traits, but they're deeper than just character traits. They are a fruit of a life of faith. And the big question on this is, is just this, is God showing through my life? I don't do this a lot um, because... You probably don't either. Remember back in the day when, when you would drive and all you had was the radio? And so you had to listen to stuff. The days before, maybe you were a fancy house and you had a tape player in your car. It wasn't just AM, FM radio. Or maybe you had a CD player or whatever. But there was a time where it was just driving and listening to whatever came on. And as a, after I graduated high school, one of my jobs was I was a delivery guy for newspapers which was more glamorous or maybe less glamorous than that sounds. I took USA Today bundles uh, from my hometown of Port Huron, loaded them into a box truck, and then drove down to the other side of Detroit and dropped off these bundles, which was a lot of fun. It started, uh, it was a midnight job. I was my own boss, and I got to drive, and it was a blast. And one of the fun things to do was to turn on talk radio at about 2 in the morning, because that's when everybody who has something really good to say and really important things to say is up and gets a chance to say something on the radio. And so I drive and I was listening. And one time, uh, I got so worked up, if you can believe it, in my (laughs) box truck, I actually used my boss's cell phone, which wasn't, you know, the little flip or the whatever. It was a underneath that had a cord that came up and it was like probably 29 cents a second and I called in and I'm like I have an issue with what was just talked about and they're like just a minute we'll put you through and then I said really important and amazing things about school funding and school sports and and it was like oh my word Jay where are you going with this this week I was listening again to talk radio because just for fun it's fun to do that from time to time and so I was scanning the channel and, and intentionally didn't like pay attention to what station it fell on. Just it fell on somebody talking who was very, very right, in, or not politically right, but they were right. And so a bunch of other people were very, very wrong. And a bunch of people who agreed with this person were very, very good. And a bunch of people who disagreed with this person were very, very bad. And it was just anger. Anger. And I thought, it's no wonder we're at where we're at if this is the kind of thing that we soak in hour after hour after hour. And so 
this morning, before we get into any of that, I guess maybe a quick question is, is God showing through your life the things you say, the things you do, the things you give, the things you serve, the things... This isn't, this isn't going to be a pivot on a series to just focusing in on behavior, okay? But our living is not disconnected from God working in our life. And if anything, it, you could hopefully track in your life the space where God did something, showed you something, uh, intersected your life, interrupted your life, and then how things moved from that point on. Maybe attitude moved, maybe the way you spend your time moved, maybe the way you spend your money moved, maybe the things you soak on or soak in or give out moved. Is God showing through in my life? So in Romans chapter five or chapter eight, excuse me, Paul says this. He has this tension in mind and he puts it out pretty clear. He uses a word over and over in this. He uses the word the NIV translates as flesh. Some translations translate this as sin nature. It's the Greek word sarxis. Um, it's it's where we get the word sarcasm from. It's Sarcasm literally is the cutting of the flesh. So can you turn me down a smidge? I can feel some loudness coming. So it's, did you turn me down? Are we good? You're just looking at me. Okay, now everybody look at Sophie. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Nobody look at Sophie. Okay, here we go. So, uh, okay, get to my notes. So Paul writing to the church in Rome, remember we looked at this last week, it's a church he hadn't been to yet, it's a church he wanted to go to, it's a church that he does go to, but in going to it, it's not on a cushy missions trip, it's in chains actually is how he gets to Rome. Writing to the church in Rome, he's, he's giving, some say this is his manifesto of faith. Theologically, Romans is very, very thick. We go from narrative of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, into more narrative in, in Acts, straight into a, a doctoral dissertation in Romans. And so Romans is one to move slowly through and whatever, but in this we have Paul talking about the life of a follower of Christ is a life of the Spirit versus a life of the flesh, not our flesh in bones flesh, but flesh of our old nature, it's sometimes referred to, or our sin nature, our old self, that piece of us that even if you've been a follower of Christ for decades, still rises up. Romans 8, verses 5 through 11, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however... This is the great pivot. You, however. So here's the reality. Those who have not yet come into faith, have not surrendered their life to Christ, have not confessed that he is God, have not controlled by the flesh. But you, however, 
You're not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Again, Paul, theologically thick, And we could spend literally months in just this passage unpacking the mystery of this. But in this, we get this picture of this is what it looks like to not have your life surrendered to Christ. Your desires, your passions, your will, your way. Paul says, church, we are living a different life, even though death still comes up. Even though death is still in the mix, even though we are subject to death because of sin, he says, we, we're to, well, we have different life. So Paul's saying, you are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if you have the spirit, you belong to Christ. If you don't, you don't. When you submit your life to Jesus, he takes up residence in you through the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. This is great. This is the stuff that the Pentecostals and Charismatics get excited about and busy about. And us Norwegian Christians are like, yeah, that's good. That's good. What else you got, Jay? Let's move on. Just... Before, maybe as a pause, because anytime we talk about the Holy Spirit, there's the potential to like either super tune in or super tune out. If, if you're looking for a good, uh, a, a good read on the Holy Spirit, Francis Chan's Forgotten God is a great book for just street level. Um, and in it, his premise is that we in the church world talk a lot about God the Father. We talk a lot about God the Son, Jesus, and not so much about the Holy Spirit. And part of that, it, it, for a lot of different reasons, for some it's because it's just it's too weird. It's too like, what does that mean? And where does that go? And what does it look like? For others, it's because of maybe uh, uh, difficulties they've had maybe growing up in a church setting where they've seen things attributed to the Holy Spirit that maybe weren't that. And things got maybe a little bit uh, um, out of control and, and maybe weren't taught through the best or whatever else. And, but see, the role of the Holy Spirit in, in the life of a believer, it's, it's a mysterious thing. And we talk about things like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which isn't just one event thing that happens when you're a teenager at Bible camp in the summer on Wednesday night because that's Holy Spirit night. And it is. I youth pastored for seven years. Wednesday night's Holy Spirit night. Which I always thought if they were really led by this, no. They'd have Holy Spirit night on Tuesday and throw everyone off. 
because the spirit's unpredictable. But uh, I can remember one time taking our high school group out of camp after a service where it was good Bible preaching, great worship, very emotional, lots of good altar time. And then after the altar time, it was, it was the Holy Spirit stuff, and it was pray that you might receive the Holy Spirit, and then um, speaking in tongues and the whole of that. And I just was like, hmm. And so I remember we, Amy and I, we sat outside of the uh, chapel on rocks right outside of it and just had a conversation with the students on who the Holy Spirit is and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a follower of Christ. Um, I don't know how you grew up. Um, God, through his word, says that every believer receives the Holy Spirit when they submit and surrender their life to Christ. And so this might just be an aside for no reason. But maybe you grew up in a setting where uh, Wednesday night Holy Spirit thing was a thing, or maybe it was at camp, or maybe it was at somewhere else. I can remember being a kid a kid at a music festival um, in Pennsylvania where uh, they were talking about following God and receiving the Holy Spirit with kids. And it was, I don't remember it being pushy or whatever, but I remember as a kid giving, having an opportunity to ask and pray to receive the Holy Spirit, give my life to Jesus, all that, and did it. And it was great. And it's one of those things that happens in settings uh, that are maybe high energy or big charged or whatever. Um, and maybe not so much in settings that are more relaxed over a cup of coffee where we talk about it. Where are you going, Jay? We'll see. Where I'm wanting to go most before we get into the fruit of the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit isn't some um, merit badge that we earn if we're around faith or church long enough. If you, you, in all of your you-ness, surrender your life to Jesus, trust him as your Lord and Savior, confess to him that you're a sinner, receive him, Scripture says that you receive the Holy Spirit in that. And so the narrative of the book of Acts is that then the Holy Spirit falls on them when they're in the upper room praying because Jesus says, wait for it. The Holy Spirit falls. There's fire, tongues of fire, which is amazing and weird and not anything I've ever seen. And there's this huge wind. And then they begin to uh, praise the Lord in different languages that are understood by people who are in the city at the time, and in there, it's so crazy. They think they're drunk, and Peter's response is, "Of course, we're not drunk. We're it's not noon yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the Bible. It's awesome." <laughs> and so, which makes me wonder what five o'clock looks like with the disciples. But anyway, he says, "Of course, we're not drunk." And then there's kind of this, this narrative arc in Acts where they say uh, different people come to know Jesus and they get baptized in water and then they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is this, this weird extra thing that God does. But um, before any of that, this is the, the worst doctrine of the Holy Spirit. 
talking. If you've given your life to God, you have received the Holy Spirit. Lives in you, dwells in you, is working in you, is shaping and refining you, is in the process, the church word of sanctification, refining you, shaping you into the likeness of Christ. And so there isn't some like, I need to go and do this or have this experience or this mountain peak thing or a Wednesday night at a Bible camp or uh, it's never going to happen here because we don't have altar moments or, or I wish they would just do a special emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Listen, follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit then comes, well, can come the gifts that God gives that God chooses who he gives to, the gifts, the tongues, interpretation, prophecy, healing, faith, wisdom, gifts, are legit and real. Not just first century, get things going, and then once the founding fathers are gone, then we don't do stuff anymore, because it's weird, and we don't need it now, because we have the institution of the church. Lord knows we need those gifts more, because we have the institution of the church. Just, we need them appropriately. And so, but us normal everydayers, it can feel like that's for just the super spiritual, the professionals, the missionaries in other countries when the cameras aren't on that have the good stories that come back and tell about them and always seem a little, I wonder. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living in, in you, working in you, present in you. And so that tension that we have between our old self, that old nature, and the life of Christ living in us and through us, yes, it's there, but but the Spirit of God himself is present and living in you. That's awesome. That's a... Well, it's at least a head nod moment in Water City. So, so there's a ton we could say about Act, or about the book of Acts. There's a ton we could say in Romans, but let's go to Galatians. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be unpacking this text for a while um, or until we're done. But Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Usually we just do like verses 22 and 23 because then as it keeps going on here, it demands something of us and it, it gets a little cutting. Before we unpack this though, it's important to ask ourselves, who is writing this? It's Paul. Why is he writing this and who is he writing it to? 
So this is from the, the letter to the church in Galatia, which isn't a city, it's a region in Asia Minor. There's house churches in this area. And one of the big things that he's hitting on in this letter to them is he's addressing some tension that's arisen between those Jewish believers of Jesus and those who are not Jewish but are believers and followers of Jesus. So there's these two kind of coming to know Jesus, coming into the church and living together and living life together and doing faith together, yet their backstory is very, very different. This, um, uh, there's stories of the Jesus movement in the 60s when, when a whole messload of hippies had this Jesus encounter and this was before like all the non-denominational churches and everywhere else. And so they were like, I've met Jesus with my long hair and my smelliness and my all of it. I should probably go to church. And so went into like churches our grandparents would go to. And there was this culture clash both folks loving God, serving God, worshiping God as best they knew how in the moment. And yet culturally, this tension in this. And so that is very similar to what's going on here in the church in, in the area of the churches that Paul's writing to in Galatians. And so to the Jewish followers of Christ, there is the idea of, I'm not going to just jettison generations and generations of law and tradition and rhythm. And yet to those who didn't know the Hebrew scriptures and just started with Jesus, well, let's just do that. And so Paul's like, all right, here's how this works. We're going to dig a little bit into this in the next couple weeks, but for this morning, let's just say that there was a bit of tension. It was strained within these, this ch- these churches. So the Jewish Christians were like, we're glad you believe in Jesus, but we're going to need you to follow the Jewish law. And they were like, I think maybe we just follow Jesus. I don't know. And Paul's pushing back against that. He says it's not by following the law that anyone had ever been saved. He's, the Jews were certainly, they weren't right with God because they had followed the law and followed it well. All the law could do was bring us to a point of saying we need a different way because this is unlivable and unkeepable. But others were saying, no, 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 you still have to do this. There was a huge shift. We can all remember it. We can, exclusive companies closing. Some of you bought music there, records and CDs and maybe a tape. And for, like, my kids, the idea of going to the store to buy a CD is ridiculous. What does that even mean, right? Just YouTube it, just stream it. And there was this huge shift when that happened. And this shift in the first century is a shift like that. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. 
John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you are like a branch. Or if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And that is a whole sermon series. Jesus is saying, stay connected with me and you'll bear much fruit. And the catch is showing yourself to be my disciples. It's hard to miss that Jesus is saying that the fruit that we actually bear is important. Don't miss it. It's actually essential. How you live. So much. So what fruit do we bear? We're called to love. We're called to love. In fact, not just called to love, but commanded to love. And this is the thing that's so confusing to me as I scan the horizon of, of American church world. So many voices seem to be talking about Jesus and then without any tone of love. And see, we can't talk about love without the verse that luckily is in the Bible or weddings would be a whole lot shorter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? This is the definition of love. Paul writing to an even way worse church, the church of Corinth. He says, look, you need to love each other. In loving each other, this is what it looks like. It's not just the stuff you do, the spiritual stuff. He says, what good is it if I speak with tongues of angels, but I don't have love? If I do that, I'm just like a gong. I'm a sound you don't want to hear. And then he goes on and he says, look, this is love. Love is, let's do this. Read it. You, you read it. Read it out loud. Let's go. Let's participate. Go. So let's do that. Let's do that. Okay, thanks for coming. Because <laughs> this is super easy, right? This is the, oh, sure, let's just do that. No problem. It's interesting that Paul ends with this. He's dealing with a bigger issue where the church in Corinth felt like they were super spiritual because they were doing the uh, special effects gifts of the Spirit. 
They were doing the stuff that you walked in, you went, man, that's really weird. And then you walked out and were like, man, they were really spiritual. And yet, those who were doing the, man, that's really weird and that's really spiritual, were sinning in such blatant ways, living so counter to the way of Jesus. And so he says, look, you got to do this stuff. And in the second half of this, it's funny, in a wedding, they don't ever know if they're allowed to like end it at Love Never Fails, right? And you can always tell if the reader in the wedding goes to church or not because they don't quite know how to pronounce prophesy if they don't go. And I giggle in the back. I shouldn't, but I'm in process as well. Paul ends with this because he's going, look, all of the other stuff that is so important to you, Church of Corinth, that is going to end. It's an imperfect thing that is happening now in this life, but then in the age to come where you are in the very presence face-to-face with Jesus, you don't need prophecy. You don't need tongues or an interpretation of tongues. You don't need words of knowledge because you are with Jesus himself, but love is not going to end. That will go on and on and on and on. And so they had focused on these other things, tongues and interpretation and and words of knowledge and, and just whatever stuff, and yet they weren't loving each other. Paul says, listen, if you're maturing in Christ, your life is marked by love. And so we could go, Sure, love. All right, next, let's move on. And I can remember being a teenager in youth group when my youth pastor would be like, all right, we're going we're gonna to talk about love today. Just roll my eyes, like, oh my word, this is such a church thing to do. Are we doing this again? And it never got in. And this is the core of it. It's not an accident that the fruit of the Spirit begins with love. And so Paul uses the word here, agapos, which is the noun of agape. And this is the love that you and I are to be known for. It's not just a love of warm feelings for the people that I get along with, which that alone is hard enough to do for very long. This is the no matter what people may do to you, by way of insult or injure or humiliation, you will only seek their highest good love. We use the short of this and we say agape love is love with no strings attached. But it's, it's deeper than even that. Only seek the highest good. See, this is God's love for us while we were still enemies with God. Jesus died for us, Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome. It's interesting to note that agape is not all that commonly used in classical Greek literature. Sort of like love without strings is not so common in our culture either. We might talk about it, but how often do we actually see it? 
Yet agape is connected or agapeo is used over 200 times in the New Testament. It's this, okay, this is the culture. See, in Luke 10, and we've, we've talked on this, we won't teach all the way through, but I couldn't think of a better story for this. Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to do ministry. They come back. They're excited about what he's done. And then somebody comes up to him, and he's like, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is recorded in multiple of the Gospels, or that, that question. But here, what must I do? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. And then right after this, we have the story of the Good Samaritan. Because the guy's like, okay, I get the love God stuff, the love your neighbor stuff, a little tougher. So I'm going to ask a clarifying question, who's my neighbor? And so instead of defining that, Jesus tells the story. And we know the story, a man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho and on the way he was jumped by some bandits and the bandits beat him to the edge of death and then leave him there and then some religious folks come by who should have been the ones to step in and do something but they walk by and they leave him and then Jesus flips the script and he says but then a Samaritan comes and and you know this the Samaritan was never a hero of a story. And so Jesus says, but then the Samaritan comes, and the Samaritan does the unthinkable. He takes him, he cleans him up, he puts him on his own donkey, he takes him to an inn, and he's got things to do, so he pays the innkeeper, here's a lot of money, bring him back to health, and if it costs more than this, I'm actually going to be passing through in a little bit, I'll, I'll pay for whatever it is. And then Jesus says, so who do you think was the neighbor? And the guy, if you read it, he doesn't even say the Samaritan. The venom in his heart, even though he knew the answer, this is his answer. He knew the things you were supposed to do. And yet if you read this text, he doesn't even say the Samaritan was the neighbor. He says, the one who did. Like he can't even bring himself because it's so cutting. And that's usually the emphasis we make on this parable or when we teach the parable or some teach the parable and they make each thing, all these different things. Here's one of the big ideas of the parable. Jesus ends this and he says, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. But see, that one simple little thing that Jesus says to go and do is actually an impossibility. Which is the whole of the gospel. See, we can't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength 
we're divided, we're at tension, we're living from the flesh, we're living from the spirit, our whole mind, whole body, whole self, whole strength. And then loving our neighbor as ourself. What does that look like? Well, which neighbor? Oh, all of them? Well, how far out? How many houses over? How many, how many social classes different? How many education different? How many economic things different? How many language barriers different? And Jesus rips all that apart. See, and what happens then is then people use that as ammunition in and against the church, and they say, see, the church doesn't even do that. And there's a little bit of rightness in that. But Jesus isn't targeting just one little group that isn't doing this right. Nobody can do this. Empty, lifeless religion tries to do it on its own. Well, I'll love God as best I can, and I'll love the people that are easiest to love, and I'll go out of my way once in a while. But. And so when Jesus is saying to him, go and do likewise, he's actually telling him to go and do something that's impossible for him to do, that's impossible for us to do, that we need God. But see, this is exactly what God did for us. First John chapter 4. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives on us and us in him and his love is made complete in us. The thing that he's calling us to live the fact, the thing that he commands for us to do in this story and then it's follow-up, it's impossible for us to do. And yet God is moving toward us first. It's not because we're so we know his love. Not only do we know it, but we rely on it. We soak in it. We can't get right with God by our own works. We can do it for a little bit, but not for very long. So he loves us, and we are to display that love. Not only that we are loved, but that we love as well. It's not only a thing that I take in. Oh, God, you're so amazing. I'm so thankful that you love me. You're just the best. This is amazing. Just more of you. Yep, uh uh-huh. But he loves us that then we can love others. In fact, this goes back into how Israel really missed what God had called them to do as a nation. I'm going to bless you so that then you can bless others. And from that point on where God speaks to Abraham, it's kind of a, a celebration of messing up. And see, God loves his people, not the end of the story, that then they may love others. So how is this in you? Are you crushing it? You're tough this morning. Is this just two stepping on toes? 
Is it just two? Jay, I got this. Actually, you've used three of these texts this year already. How are you doing in this? I mean, if we were like Pharisees this morning, I'd go, you know what? We were in 1 John earlier in the year. Anyone remember that? So we've already done this verse. So because we've already taught this verse and nodded it and written notes about this, we're all crushing it now, right? Doing good? How's that working? I'm not doing great in this. Because that old self is like, nope, no thank you. And it's why this is so cutting. That when scripture says that Jesus said that we are to bear fruit, my works brain goes, well, these are the things that I'm doing to show love. And it's easy to do things or to show things or to Instagram it or to social stream the things I'm doing that share love and have it not at all penetrate my black dying heart. And see, that's the thing that God wants to change. To swap out a heart of stone, the prophet says, with a living heart of flesh. So how do we display this kind of love? The love that God has for us that we can't earn, that we don't deserve, and yet freely gives to us, that when we receive, we are then to live out. You have to be intentional. We don't accidentally live this. So how do we be intentional First off, we recognize that it's not, even though love is an emotion, yep, this love is also an act of will. And so I have love, emotional love, for a lot of people in my life. But not everyone. Because some people, right? And you're the same. And so if my church love only makes it out of the door onto the people that I emotionally easily love, how am I any different than anyone else? How silly must it sound like for me to talk about the things of God or things of faith? And so this isn't just emotion, but it's an act of will. You and I have, every day, we get to decide to love with a looking for the best in others' love. Some of you are natural at this. Maybe it's because you grew up in a home where just everyone always was being talked about in ways that was looking for the best. Others of us maybe struggle a bit in this because we grew up in a setting where the things that were talked about weren't the best. It was all of the other stuff. And you internalize that and then you repeat that accent. Like growing up in the South, you speak with the Southern accent. Some of us grew up in a setting where it was all criticism, all critical, all cutting. And so that's in there deep. 
And that is the thing that we have an opportunity then to go, God, for real life, for real, you know me. And this is where I default. So today, God, work in me that I can love intentionally. One of the examples that I come to in my mind when I think about loving intentionally is one of my friends in, in Bible college um, was wired, is wired to be a missionary, a missionary into one of the places in the world where it's not allowed to be a missionary, not safe to be a missionary. And I remember in college, this super intense guy, and, and he's talking about where he was going. I'm like, that's nice. I'm just going to be a youth pastor, and we're going to do lock-ins. And he was like, I might be killed. <laughs> I'm like, you're not kidding. And when he went to, like, fill out the paperwork and stuff to be a missionary, some doors closed. He wasn't, it wasn't working out. And so what he did was said, fine, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll start a church, I guess, then. And so here in Wisconsin, some of you were, one of you was in his church. He started a church and pastored there for over eight years. Well, the door in the place where he was wired and called to go was closed. He knew that's where he was supposed to go. His wife wanted to go there. It's all they talked about, but they couldn't. And so there was this intentional, God, I love you. You love me. I am, by an act of my will and obedience to you, going to love others here, even though there is where I am made to be here is where I'm going to choose to follow you and be obedient in. And the details of the story may be different for you, but many of you know what that means. You're wired to do X, Y, and Z, but you find yourself in A, B, and C. So in A, B, and C, are you choosing to be obedient through an act of your will, not just an emotion? I love being here. I'm going to represent Jesus here. But I choose to be obedient here and to love the others who are around me here intentionally. Because here's the reality. You may not always be here, but you are always going to be you. And if you can't love here, you're not going to love over here. There's nothing magic about over here. It's just as broken, just as fallen, just as filled with people. And so where you find yourself right now, God, show me what it means to love. The story goes on for my buddy and his family are actually in a dangerous part of the world now doing missions exactly where they knew they needed to be. But the legacy of them is that it wasn't eight, nine years wasted. It was obedience. And the kingdom of heaven was advanced in that setting. And so in your own life, you have to be intentional. 
Last one. This could almost be fill in the blank. We better be careful with these messages. We'll fill in the blank. You can't do it on your own. And we can't. We can't. We could choose to be intentional. We can, we can screw up our, or choose our will, do this. But eventually the tank runs dry. And this is where we are reminded of Jesus' loving words. I am the vine. You are the branches. Stay in me and you'll bear fruit. And you'll bear fruit. It's Tim this morning saying, I had a thing going on this week that I was going into. And as I was staying in Jesus, he reminded me. Wouldn't it be great if we had opportunities regularly to be reminded that we weren't enough? That We have them every day, don't we? And so in the, in the most Sunday school kind of a way, church, can I remind us and challenge us to remain and to stay? Not in a guilting way, not in a, hey, did you do your devotions this morning or your quiet time like Paul tells us to? But like, hey, did you start your morning at some point in one of the rhythms that you do every day, whether it's the brewing of the coffee or the doing of the whatever, just in, even in the rhythm of doing that, God, I need you today. And there's going to be a lot of things that I'm going to face today, and you know what they are, and you're already there in it, so I'm not going to worry about it. But God, you know, and you know me, and I'm going to do my best to represent you and to love the way you love and all that, but you know I am a bridge that doesn't go anywhere. So I need you. And in your praying that or something more eloquent than that, let me encourage you. You have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead at work in you. At work in you. That's crazy. That's like, and yet God says it's true. So in a way from is we're to be living away from the flesh and moving towards a life in the spirit. So the question again, is God showing through my life? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you showing through my life isn't dependent on me being amazing or knowing five Greek words. It's not on me spending a certain amount of time clocked in at church or reading a certain number of chapters of your Bible or God, it's through me more and more surrendering to you. 
Lord, your word says, give thanks in all things, in all circumstances. And it's not an easy thing, but God, you use all things in all circumstances to shape and to refine and to renew us. God, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is living and at work in the life of everyone who surrenders their life to you. And God, I just pray that as we soak in your word and shift to communion here, and I trust that even your spirit is whispering something in our life. Maybe it's a situation that we need to rectify or reconcile. Maybe maybe it's a thing we need to let go of. Maybe it's an actual person that we have and we know it been not loving to. God, I pray that you would do a work. God, may we be changed because of our time together here because of what you are doing. Lord, I know this is a slow process. Sometimes it's instant, miraculous, and other times it's the slow growth of character. God, I pray for each one here this morning that you would bear fruit in us. God, start with love. Jesus, we need you. Thank you that you are enough to overwhelm our need. In your name we pray.